You're listening to the Food Talk Show. Hi there, my name is Sue Nelson and for the next half hour or so we're going to be talking about all things food and drink. I'm joined by my fellow presenter Ollie Lloyd of Great British Chefs. Hi there Ollie. Hey, how are you doing, Sue? Pretty stinky hot in London at the moment, isn't wow. it? <laughs> yeah, it's, it's the new Med, isn't it? It's the new Mediterranean, yes, it is. We haven't got any guests, I'm afraid, with um, nice ice-cold drinks, though. That would have been a smart move. No, that would have been a very smart move. <laughs> Although you, we have air conditioning in the studio, which is not something I have in my office, so I'm really enjoying that. Yeah, I went to your office last week um, and uh, I nearly passed out. I don't know how you guys work in there. Uh, it's um, on the third floor... Of yeah. an office block, and it is really hot. Well, we are next to an Iceland, which does really good value ice lollies. So, ah, so everyone, there's, there's always a fully stocked freezer of ice lollies. So that's our version of air conditioning. I see. So that's what you do. Okay. Um, we've got some guests today, um, including Taryn Gore of Cafoodle. Hi there, Taryn. Hi, thank you for having me. We know you very well because you entered the um, Food Talk Awards, um, so we love your stuff. Um, and Tom Mansell of Lean Path. Hi, Tom. Hi, great to be here. Now, um, before we, we, we move on to Taryn, I mean, one of the things that, that um, is, is a real issue at the moment, and I know you've done research on this, Ollie, is, is the rise of people avoiding certain types of foodstuffs, either because they've got a medical issue or it's something out of choice um, that they want to do. Um, and gluten or wheat freeze is, is a big thing, isn't it? And I know in your research, nationally, 6% are um, trying to avoid gluten or wheat, but actually for 18 to 24-year-olds, it's 11%, it's so almost double that. Um, are you seeing more and more of a rise of that or are you expecting that when you do the research again this year? I think, I think you've got two things going on. I think one is there is an increased understanding that it's okay to have an allergy and that you can kind of find out if you had an allergy. Some people were just in the old days just said, oh, I've got a bit of a dodgy tummy or I don't like something. So I think there's kind of just a greater awareness of, of being able to diagnose what the problem was. So, I think, so, so do you mean that a waiter now won't put their eyes to the ceiling when you say it? No, I'm, you not, know, almost. I, I'm not going to say that. I think, I, well, I think, I think the other thing I was going to say is that also people are choosing to say they are intolerant to things when actually they don't like things. Right. Okay. And I think there is their blurring of those two worlds. But will the waiters still raise their eyes to the ceiling? Let's be clear. It is pretty complicated running a restaurant. Yeah. And it's pretty complicated catering to all the <coughs> demands that people have. And so I don't think they'll raise their eyes to the ceiling. But, it, you know, chefs expect they have to do this thing and step mm. up to the plate on this, but it's not uncomplicated. Yeah, I mean, my daughter's celiac as opposed to wants to avoid uh, gluten. Um, and we went to a pub a couple of weeks ago and she was really excited. They had a gluten-free menu, doesn't always happen. Um, and they were making, um, so we had Sunday lunch, they were making cauliflower cheese and they had gravy and all that sort of stuff. She must have checked three times, is that gluten-free? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then the next day she had to have off work because she was seriously ill. So clearly it wasn't gluten-free. So, so, you know, it can, and that's just ruined a whole week and she will never go back there again because she because she can't trust them um so it can be a serious issue absolutely and that's a different but that is different i think from trying to avoid stuff because you, you you know trying to be a bit healthier or something of course and and, and the reality is there are a certain number of people who have a genuine medical condition mm. which you know, on some levels with you know certain nut allergies and other things can be life-threatening yeah you know which you have to take really really seriously now clearly waiters and kitchens don't know whether you've got a desire whether problem. whether it's a, a genuine problem or it's a preference. Yeah. The truth is, in a restaurant, considering the world we live in, you've got to assume 
it's a genuine problem and work to avoid it. But obviously mm. it's difficult in a kitchen because actually the cross-contamination and stuff, if, you know, very few people are running nut-free kitchens. Yeah. Um, so, so Taryn, is this something that, that, that kicked off uh, your sort of interest in, in trying to solve problems for the kitchen side of it, for the service side of it, as well as the, as the consumer? Absolutely. So um, my background is very much um, in the in the kitchen. I started off back as a pot wash in my teenage years and moved my way up. My co-founder has a husband with a severe sesame allergy and he had an incident uh, where he was served uh, a salad that had contained no sesame, but actually the chef had run out of olive oil and had just swapped olive oil for sesame oil. Without. Not not thinking. <laughs> yeah. And then once again, there was absolutely no way the waiter would have known that. Yeah, sure. Um, so I think she's always been very uh, adamant that we need to make it safe for consumers to eat out, whereas I've been very adamant that it's not that easy for the kitchen to do it. Um, it's and, a nightmare. I mean, let's face it. It is. Uh, and cross-contamination is, is a really, really big problem. Um, but the idea behind Cafoodle was that if you had live tracking of your recipes or knew what you were doing, that the waiter would have information at the touch of a fingertip. So something like gluten or celiac, um, or people avoiding gluten, that's actually broken down. So I remember being a waiter and I was a horrific waiter. Um, but if a consumer had walked in and said, does your burger contain barley? I, you know, the food, know. Tasting, you know? <laughs> the food tasting on the burger was three months ago. And I can't remember what they said, re barley, mm. re any of that. So uh, it's it's just about having the information readily available. So hopefully something that happened with your daughter wouldn't happen again. Yeah. So so, so you identify this as a problem, and it is it is a real problem. And I think I think if people, you know, in food service can get it right, they'll get more custom. I think. Yes. I, I, I think it could be a competitive advantage if they really really sort of sort it out. But it's incredibly time-consuming and really, really difficult. And a lot of the, the, you know, some of the big restaurants will have all sorts of staff wandering in and out, seasonal staff, all, all sorts of things. So it's it's not just getting it right; it's briefing everybody as well, isn't it? It's it's, it's quite a dilemma. It is. Um, the argument with digitising it is that you won't have to keep briefing all of the staff, that it is as simple as whether they go to the EPAS system or with the iPad, that all the information is there that's pulled through from the kitchen. So if it's someone's first day or second day, they don't have to interrupt the chef in the middle of service. It's digitised, it's available, and they can just look on the EPOS system or on the iPad. So we have a, a specific front-of-house tool that actually speaks to any kitchen management system. That means it just pulls through order the data so that so let's just go back a step so so essentially what you do is uh, for a restaurant uh, you can say uh, plug in all your ingredients is that how I got this right yeah and then that will automatically flag up what is what is okay for some so whether it's dairy or you know all those sorts of things so that they don't have to analyze it so that when they put a recipe together or menu together they've got an automatic um, track of every single allergy in every single one of their dishes. Have I got that right? Yes, that's absolutely right. So if for anyone that's been out to a restaurant or a pub, you might have asked about allergens and you either get an A4 folder to go through or, or a paper data sheet, they're called in the industry. The idea behind a cathedral is that it's digitised so that when information is updated, whether it's across a restaurant group or in a pub, it's automatically fed through to all the systems. Now, just to go back to the amount of effort you um, you involved, we're, we're a drag and drop system, but also the argument is that most of my friends who are in the industry are using Excel spreadsheets, Microsoft Word, or some sort of um, soft 
wear. I use the word loosely. Um, <laughs> but that a Cofoodle was designed to basically take your Microsoft Word document for your method, your Excel spreadsheet for your costings, and actually automate that whole process to generate digital recipe cards, digital data sheets. So the idea is not that you're doing more work. As we've grown, we've now got relationships with suppliers. So a lot of ingredients are auto-populated or just pulled through from your EPOS system so that pricing is automatically updated. But it does mean that if you substitute a certain type of mayonnaise, everyone on Just the front, updated everyone on the floor will now know that it contains eggs. Clever stuff, Ollie. Absolutely. I mean, um, 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 where where does the um, does your focus sit between the kind of because obviously the large chains have you know the truth is large chains are designed to deliver a menu regularly, right? And there's going to be less change change at a major chain than there is at you know a lot of the chefs that that we work with change their menu every day. Now, you know, that, that is because they, they're cooking the seasons, they're cooking what comes in on the day boats, they're thinking about, you know, hyper-local seasonality. You know, where are you on the kind of spectrum between the massive chains, which I think are an easier challenge in some ways, versus kind of the lone, the lone wolf who's running a, a small restaurant? So that's a fantastic question. Um, and to be honest with you, we haven't nailed it. Um, the way that I work as a chef would be that all of my recipes are in my system already. Um, and where uh, we work with, for instance, a seafood restaurant, and a lot of their stuff is catch of the day, fish of the day. A lot of, um, funny enough, the local seasonality can be pre-populated. So you're, you know your fish of the day is going to contain fish. Um, but actually being able to take 20 minutes at the beginning of the system, you have all your recipes pre-populated in the system and you just drag and drop them to what's live. And you can, as you do that, you can add the main seasonal ingredient. So if you know your seasons, you'll have your asparagus tartlets and your strawberry eaten mess and all of that. But then if you're talking about local catch and local fish, it's just that main protein that you would you would change. And the, the interesting thing I think is, and this is, I think, one of the big challenges that, that restaurants face is, it is so much more complicated. I mean, in the old days, you had a restaurant, you were a great cook, you just cooked, the numbers kind of added up. You can still Actually, do that. You can. I do think you're going to cut a lot of your potential custom out, aren't you, are. you, I guess. But there also, there's risk. I mean, it's not just, well, yeah, you know, actually risk there's, well, there's yeah. risk. And, and, and the fact is your, your Sesame story shows there's risk even where you don't even know there's risk. I mean, yeah. it, 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 it's a minefield in some ways. Who'd start a restaurant, basically? That's what we're saying. <laughs> well, and also the, the argument is that it, it is a lot of work, but I personally, having owned a, a pub myself, if fish came in, and sometimes it did, where even from Smithfield's Market, the meat would come in at, at almost a pound more a kilo, and so would the fish, that surely you would want the chef to take two seconds to realise that maybe fish and chips that day shouldn't be seven ninety nine, maybe they should be eight ninety nine, because otherwise your GP is going to be out. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, rates, rates are going up, and I think, um, to be honest with you, we work a lot with care homes and hospitals and mm. really and care homes are really struggling with the pricing model and they just they run a menu through the system and they'll see how much it costs them that they haven't thought about how to refactor it or to make it save them money as well so i think keeping track of your rates and your your gps and that is now of paramount importance looking at the industry and where it is today so with Cafoodle then um it's like a software system or whatever and um Cafoodle is spelt k a F-O-O-D-L-E, Um If somebody wants to understand exactly how this system works, presumably they can just go on their website. I think I've seen a video on there that explains it. If I got, uh, yes, there's, there's a video and a, a tutorial and a quick kind of 60-second overview. And then we also do webinars and live demos for our clients. Mm. And, and in essence, um, they've got to have these sorts of systems because it's, gonna, it's, it's just so difficult to manage manually. 
It's almost impossible. I, I believe so. If you're a big, you know, if you're a big operation, I think it's got really hard. Yeah, I mean, I think when I first started the company a couple of years ago, everyone was like, you know, you can't build a company around a fad. I think it's now been proven it's not a fad. It, it's the future of food and it's the way people look at it. And I think we very much look at trying to make it as easy as possible for both sides. But I think if you are a restaurant in the current climate, you definitely need to be, as you say, targeting. I mean, 2% of the population will, will go into anaphylactic shock is the statistic is the stat, but um, 45% of the population need to consider a dietary when dining out. And that could purely be that I'm going out with your daughter who is celiac or my co-founder who is vegetarian. Um, you wouldn't want to go out with her. She's a nightmare. <laughs> um, but I want to find somewhere to eat really easily. And if yep, your restaurant yep. isn't on the radar, then it's not going to be booked. Is it a fad, Ollie? No, it's not a fad. I mean, I think this is, as I said at the beginning, I think that these the two factors of people beginning to find better ways of, of, of diagnosing problems and also I think a greater awareness of taking control of you know of food and I think you know you and I have talked a lot before about the fact that food is now identity and actually people define themselves by the foods they eat and the foods they choose not to eat and actually that that desire to kind of define yourself in that way means you decide that you know you are vegan and that's part of your personality like in the old days you were into this kind of music rather than that kind of music it's part of identity nowadays and therefore people want to believe they're going to restaurants that can cater to that. Hmm. Well, um, I suppose it's a bit of a serious topic really, isn't it? But uh, So you can go on to kafoodle.com and find out a little bit more. Um, over to you, um, Tom, what, what, what's your thoughts on this? I mean, in a way, you're, you're dealing with another side of this as well, which we'll, we'll come on to in a minute. But is it exactly what you're finding, what, what, what we've been talking about? Well, yes. I, I mean, from a, from a personal perspective, I, 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 have, um, I have friends who have children who are you know, anaphylactically um, allergic to certain foodstuffs. I mean, when they, when they flew to the UK, they needed to have the plane fumigated and not serve nuts on the plane. Such was the uh, you know, degree of, 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 of response. And my daughter is, um, is, is allergic to a variety of foodstuffs. So this, for me, is immensely liberating to know that, you know, technology is starting to do some of the heavy lifting um, on menu planning and, um, and, and meeting customer expectations. So, you know, that is that for me, that's tremendous news. Uh, that, why, uh, why are we all getting like that? When I was a kid, you sort of, sort of, I can't remember anybody being ill. Is it, is it just modern life that gradually, you know, the human body's sort of caving in a bit as we're going? <laughs> do you know what I mean, though, Ollie? Because these are serious. They're not... You know, the, 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 the people aren't making them up. They're they're dead no, they're serious. And and you know, but, but the, there didn't used to be that much prevalence of it. And and now, more and more, more and more children, I think, are. Is, yeah. is it's just modern day life? The that's... instances of uh, food intolerances are you know only going one way, and that's and that's north. Um, and 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 I I'm, I'm not sure, you know, that the jury is very much out on why that is. But you know, I think increased use of chemicals, pesticides. You know, a lot of unnatural ingredients are finding their way into the foods that we consume on a daily basis, and our bodies are responding to that. The plastic thing's one of them. But, al- but also, <laughs> there were lots of unexplained, you know, deaths, illnesses in the past, and ultimately, you know, there were, you know, you know it's like nowadays when when someone dies, you you know why they died. Mm. You know, in in most cases. Um, you know, you know, but actually, you know, it's not just old age. It's not just you know. Actually, genuinely understand what the symptoms were and what 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 the reason was. And I think we're just starting to understand more of that. But I do. I think there is also there's something about the chemical 
stuff. But as you said, I don't. I don't. We, we should try and get someone on the show who, who genuinely has some strong who points of view about this on stuff. why on why is it going in this direction and what's the. What I'm worried about is what is the end game because if it just is it just going to get worse and worse and worse. So to the point where you go to go to a restaurant and you can hardly order any. You know, you have got to offer hundreds of <laughs> variations. Um, where, I think it, where it becomes almost impossible to deliver. Well, I think it, it, it. I think it requires a different mindset as a chef, you know, mm. because actually you need to almost be able to construct a dish and deconstruct a dish and understand how the components fall apart and can come away. And actually, you know, when you go to, you know, as I'm lucky enough to do, to go to a lot of tasting menus of, of top top restaurants, you know, actually you know, they are serving one dish for everyone, but they're actually not serving one dish anymore. They're serving eight versions of one dish. So actually, I think what we're going to see probably more and more is the kind of the simplified menus in order to allow for decoupling those, and, yeah, yeah, and and pulling things yeah. apart. So, you know, you'll have dishes where, you know, the sesame oil, for example, will be taken off for certain people, but will be there for others. So I think I think it, it's, a, it's, a, it's a very different mindset of cooking, I think. And, and um, just like, um, you know, we've been talking about Cafoodle, um, Tom, you're trying to look at something in, in order to help the service side and the chef side of it um, examine food waste. Um, first of all, we don't want to waste food, but also, again, it really severely affects profit in, in a way that it's pretty tight industry anyway. It's hard to make a success of it. Yeah, the margins are really tight. So, you know, we work with uh, contract caterers, um, hotels, restaurants, care homes, um, you know, any organisation that, that prepares large amounts of food um, and we help them um, to measure the food uh, that they're wasting, understand what was wasted, you know, where it happened and why, and then take, uh, you know, concrete uh, steps to reduce that, and, you know, take action on that. Because I'm British, right, if somebody, can't, if somebody serves me something and it's OK, but actually there's bits about it that I'm, I'm really not impressed by, my natural inclination is just not to bother to say anything because I just can't be bothered. Um... And yet, really, they should know because they shouldn't. They should want to know what somebody's opinion is, so they don't do that again, in essence. And then they're not wasting it. Or I then come back as a customer again because I know it's being addressed. Um, if you're measuring your waste in the way that uh, your system does, which we'll explain in a minute, um, it would allow you to see if there's things that are consistently happening that your customers are not happy with but probably wouldn't tell you about. Is, is that part of what you do as Absolutely well? Absolutely right. So that's a part of what we do. We, we, we help these, these, uh, these customers to measure waste at both the pre-consumer, so kitchen um, trimmings, spoilage, yep. um, overproduction, but, but also at the post-consumer level where you know, we, we, we're able to provide great granularity into you know, what is actually thrown away. So, um, so if we're, you know, if we're looking at uh, customer plate scrapings, we know what went into that menu. We know uh, the cost of the item uh, on a on a per plate basis. So it's, you know, it's, it's it's easy to calculate the actual cost of those items that are being thrown away. Because, for example, steak and chips could be your 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 most popular thing on the menu, but actually, if people are, are leaving half of it. That isn't actually your most popular thing on the menu. It's the one that, that everybody's most disappointed by. But you wouldn't know that if you just looked at the amount of orders. It doesn't give you that information. Yeah. So it could relate to portion sizes too. You know, maybe uh, we're, we're, we're routinely um, serving too much food to our customers. But, you know, we waste is, you know, we use waste to solve a number of problems. You know, we're, we're, we're concerned about not producing enough food. So we, we overproduce. We're concerned about food safety. So we throw stuff away too early. You know, we're concerned about customer expectation. So, you know, we, we provide this huge diversity of choice and all that um, translates into overproduction and uh, waste. 
So your system is pretty damn clever um, because what, what it does, my understanding, is that you have a built-in camera and uh, a touchscreen with a user interface. Um, and before throwing any food you know, any uh, food waste away, um, you can, the camera takes a picture of the waste and you have to answer just a, a few short taps as uh, questions as, as either the, you know, the KP or, 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 or the um, chef. And then that data is automatically transmitted in real time to your reporting dashboard. And so what that enables you to do with a camera is literally find out exactly what's happening in terms of the waste post you know, consuming it is, is happening in the kitchen. Yeah, so so it's not just um, it's so the camera is really useful. We have yeah. we have a number of um, models. So at, at the most basic level, we've got just a, a simple um, tablet which is internet enabled, and then that that um, you, you enter the the weights in manually. But the three hundred and sixty, which has a camera, is a is a is a stand based um, scale, and yeah, so that takes a, a photograph of the of the food. So let's say it's um, it's it's trim waste, so you can look at that and you can say, right, well, maybe there's too much meat on there, so we need to do a knife skills course for the chef. Yeah. Um, or um, maybe it's burnt food, food that's been left out too long, so then the chef can look at that and say, right, okay, well, maybe we need to consider the cooking times on that and train people. And it gets weighed product. at the same time, is that right? So it gets weighed at the same time. Yep. So so the um, so the operator will 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 put the uh, food on the scale. They'll say what it is, where it came from. And in, in, in some cases where it's going, so whether it's going to donation or maybe composting or anaerobic digestion. And then very quickly that gives um, feedback to the user on the value of that food, um, you know, what that particular transaction, as we call it, is worth and what that would look like if that was wasted for a year. Um, and, and it also then computes what the footprint is in terms of water and oil um, and equivalent cars on the road. So, um, so we use what we call vivid equivalencies to uh, to help people engage yeah. with 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 the concept. Because because at the end of the day, um, you know the 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 technology enables behaviour change for us. The long term goal is to is is to enable behaviour change. Because you don't want somebody to analyse that in minute de detail. What you want them to do is to look at trends and, as you say, help them make management decisions almost or buying decisions. Absolutely right. So so if, if people want to really dive into that data, then yes, go ahead, break a leg. <laughs> but chefs are busy and they want to know, you know, that they really want to have their finger on the pulse of what's going on in their kitchen. So, for instance, we provide them with uh, alerts. So if something gets put on the scale that, 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 that has over a certain cost threshold, that can then send an alert out to the chef to go, okay, what's happening here? Um, we can set smart goals based on the amount of the type of food that's mm. being thrown away. So that's really useful. So the chef can say based on uh, you know, the last month's data, the top wasted item by value or by weight was salmon or vegetables. Yeah, everybody or hates our shepherd's pie. Everybody hates our shepherd's pie. <laughs> What's it's, going it's been, on? It's been, it's been tossed in the bin. <laughs> yeah. Um, but, but, but where it starts to get really interesting also is not just at the individual kitchen level, but where you're able to analyse waste across a number of different kitchens and across mm. your operation. And then you can start to make really smart purchasing decisions. You can start to innovate new menus. Uh, you can start, uh, you know, to uh, as people are increasingly doing, because we provide um, digital signage that hooks into our analytics. So you can actually start to communicate to um, customers and staff uh, the value of what they're, um, you know, of the food waste that um, that they're saving and what that means in terms of environmental and social impact. Ollie, do you do you see in the future that actually, you know, seriously 
large restaurant groups or, or, or uh, you know, big operations that, are, that have got lots of um, customers are going to have to have somebody that's using Cafoodle, you know, using the lean path thing so that they can analyse and make sure that they've got a, a really smooth running, efficient business, even if it is a restaurant. So you've still got all that lovely art going on, you know, that chefs are so good at. But actually behind the scenes, you've got somebody really helping and making sure that it's run as a business really, really leanly. I mean, I think all, all the research we're seeing at the moment is particularly amongst younger audiences, they are prepared to pay, that they're more prepared to pay for experiences than they are to pay for things. And when experience is what matters, that experience needs to align with your values. Mm. And it's very clear that consumers' expectations of waste, environmental impact, are becoming greater. And I think it's it's accelerating. I think it's accelerating kind of exponentially at the moment in the sense that I think with, with stuff like Brexit going on and stuff with, with, you know, the summers like we're having in the UK at the moment, people are just becoming more and more aware of, of climate change, of issues on food security, et cetera, et cetera. And therefore, I think ultimately, you know, you start to ask questions of the brands you buy into you know, why do I go to this chain rather than that chain? Why do I buy my food from that vendor rather than the other vendor? And I think that, you know, ultimately, you know, that's in the chain end, but I think also at the individual chef end, ultimately, chefs are brands and chefs love telling stories and they love being able to create, you know, I'm going to use the word deliberately, mythologies about their restaurants and, and really deep stories about them. And if you look at the great chefs, a lot of them are having their own farms, they're trying to grow things, they're trying to cut down food miles. They're really into this stuff because they really value produce like no one else because they understand that, you know, when you spend a lot of money on a single spear of asparagus and it's absolutely perfect, you want to treat that with real respect. And so food waste for them is almost the ultimate sin because yeah. actually they really yeah. care about this stuff. Um, that's not to say they're all good at it. They're clearly not. And there's certainly certain chefs who are leading the way in this. But I think it's becoming more and more of an agenda. Do you, do you see running a restaurant business as, as becoming more and more uh, technology-driven at the back end, like we're hearing today? I certainly... Or having to understand you've got to use that and leverage it. I think that technology that enables better decision-making simply will always be adopted. Um, and I think, you know, we, we've talked a lot to people in the past about, you know, it's about designing a system that works for the end user. And as you say, chefs are extremely busy. Um, and, you know, they're all in at six o'clock in the morning. They're all, they're all out at 11 o'clock at night. It's not like there's any spare hour in their day. So if this stuff can make their lives run more efficiently, if it can help with gross margin, if it can help with, you know, the sustainability of restaurants, particularly with rent rises and, you know, pension contributions, all the stuff that's putting pressure on their bottom line, ultimately they're going to embrace it. But it's got to do it in a way of the time sensitive. Yeah, and it, and it has to be super, super easy. So, you know, our, yeah. our, our touchscreen interface is, is designed so that people can just go, yep, one, two, three, four, and then it's done. Yeah. Um, otherwise, otherwise, they're not going to bother. But it also requires, it requires leadership. And I think that's the other challenge with this stuff, which is, like, you know, we've, we've done a lot of work in care homes as well, talking to them about, you know, how they improve menus and stuff like that. And actually, it does require a top-down mandate that goes, you are going to record this and... These are the rules. But I also think there needs to be, you need to be careful with that stuff because you need to set good goals because otherwise you can end up you with... Drive the wrong behaviour exactly. if not careful. I must yeah. say, we, we make sure that the chef is in every sign-off meeting because we've had a few incidents where it comes top down, but if a chef doesn't embrace it, they're never going to use it properly. Or understand yeah. it. Mm. Yeah. Taryn, that's very much our experience mm. too. You've got to have a chef champion who's driving this at kitchen level. 
Absolutely. Mm. So um, we're coming to an end in the programme. Um, so that was Tom Mansell, Lean Path. That's leanpath.com. So if you're in the restaurant business, sounds like you definitely need that. Um, just uh, to finish with, um, Tom, have you got any predictions of the future? Where, where do you see the restaurant business going, let's say, in five years' time? Well, I think um, I think it's it's... So we've touched on this, um, and I think it, the, that managing cost and managing production uh, is going to become, you know, much more um, much more important as you know climate change, uh, growing population, resource scarcity. You know, we're going to have more mouths to feed. Food is going to become a much much more important issue, um, and so getting a handle on cost and reducing food waste, which is you know, that is the low hanging fruit on the on the hierarchy. You can compost it, you can AD it, you yeah. can send it to landfill. Uh, but, you know, if you want to retain as, as near to 100% of its value as you can, that starts with uh, prevention. So, so, so preventing food waste to manage cost uh, is going to be absolutely it's vital. It's going to be more and more critical. Um, Taryn, any, any thoughts from you about five years from now? Obviously, going to be a multi-millionaire because everybody's using Cafoodle, but That's the dream. But, um, <laughs> no, it... it I suppose I'm very biased. I think in five years from now, it's it's going to be a competitive market. I think actually if you want to get a restaurant, now is probably the time because rates are down. And if you've got a really good concept, I've seen some people do amazing things despite the gauchos and the cows of the world. But um, I would like to see uh, healthy menu options. So for me personally, I think... Um, the whole idea of Cafudo was that it could compete, it could let independent restaurants compete with the Pretz and the retailers. So I actually think that if restaurants start to have many options where the soup of the day is 200 calories and you can grab a salad for 500 calories and that they might actually increase their turnover by just being an everyday choice rather than a luxury, I think gone are the days where a meal out is a treat. Uh, people, uh, looking at London specifically, I mean, people are eating out up to seven times a week because they're grabbing their breakfast, lunch or dinner or sometimes all three every day. And I think the more restaurants embrace having um, healthy options and not even price aware options, just really healthy options, they'll be surprised at how many people come through them. Agree with that, Ollie? Absolutely. I'm interesting. A, a quick story. So we shared an image on, on our Facebook feed yesterday, which was um, a picture of a, of the BFG made out of Mr. Kipling cakes, which uh, was... Big Friendly Giant. Big Friendly Giant, Roald yeah, Dahl. Roald Dahl. Um, so, I mean, an amazing sculpture. And the first set of comments were like, oh, isn't that cool, isn't that cool? And the second set of comments were like, where are those cakes going afterwards? Are they going to landfill? What's happening to them? How are you using them? What's going on here? And that would never have happened... That, that line of questioning is just, just would not have been in social media a few years ago. But I think what it shows is that people are beginning to ask questions that brands actually don't necessarily think about. Mm. And I think that's the same thing is going to happen in the restaurant industry, it's going to happen with brands, which is consumers are going to start to ask deeper questions. And through that line of questioning, it's going to become more people asking those questions. And the problem with social media is, is that one person asks a question and it starts to travel. Mm. And you could get yourself severely unstuck if you're not doing the right thing. You could. Mm. Well, um, you've been listening to the uh, Food Talk show, uh, which is syndicated to radio stations across the UK and further afield, as well as being available on Podbean, iTunes, podcast app, etc., etc., etc. Thank you so much to Taryn Gore of Cafoodle and Tom Mansell of Lean Path. Thank you for joining us. Thank you, um, thank you to my fellow presenter, Ollie Lloyd of Great British Chefs. 
If you want to recommend any future guests, someone doing something groundbreaking in the food sector, get in touch with us via Twitter on at Food Talk Show. Or if you want to listen to any of our hundreds of podcasts, go to Food Talk. Food, I can't even say it, foodtalk.co.uk or via Great British Chef's website. Have a good week. Bye. Bye.